This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. We will begin on page 862 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to follow along as I read. Luke chapter 6, 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. God. Well, good morning. Good morning, my name is Michael Prevatera. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. Uh, so for the last four years, I have been invested in martial arts training. Uh, it's one of those kind of like weird hobbies you fall into as you get older. Like some people collect stamps and coins and I picked up fighting people. Um, but it started with my two boys and then I got into it. And then my wife joined and now my four-year-old daughter is taking classes as well. And my boys and I, are almost black belts, so we are, we're all in, basically, at this point. But I tell you this, uh, because I don't like this passage very much, um, because here's the deal. I have, I have spent the last four years and a lot of time and money uh, training for if a situation where an enemy comes at me and tries to slap me on the cheek, I have been taught to block it and then punch back and then neutralize my opponent, um, if need be, take him to the floor, uh, I know it's not a very Christian thing to say, but that's the truth. So I don't like this idea of just standing there and taking a slap on the cheek. In fact, I really resonate with the Nigerian-American hip-hop artist Toby Nwigwe. Uh, he's got a song called Try Jesus. It's really great. Uh, but he's got a song called Try Jesus. Um, and this, this bluesy, soulful song goes like this. Try Jesus, not me, because I throw hands. Try Jesus, please don't try me, because I fight. I know what he said about getting slapped, but if you touch me or mine, we're going to have to scrap. So try Jesus, please don't try me, because I fight. Uh, and yet, in our passage this morning, we read of the Lord calling his people to something else entirely. Uh, I am sure if you are like me, we ha- you have a lot of questions about it. And this week we are continuing our series from the Sermon on the Plain, which is Jesus' teaching in Luke 6 on the kingdom of God. This is a teaching about what the kingdom of God is like and what kind of people come into it and what kind of things they do and how they live. And as we continue to see, it's different than a lot of common wisdom out there. 
So let's dig in this morning to what Jesus calls us to as his people and what that looks like and the source and power for this kind of ethic. So our section from Luke this morning comes right at the heels of Jesus pronouncing blessings and woes. Blessings for the foolish things of the world and woes to the rich and powerful, which again, in its very nature, is upside down from the way we typically operate. Talking to his disciples, Jesus closes these blessings by saying in verse 22, he says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers do, did to the prophets. And then Jesus teaches us, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Jesus is saying, Christians, first of all, don't be surprised when you're persecuted for following me. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. And in fact, if the world loves you, beware. And given that context, given that this is what life, a life of following Jesus will sometimes entail, here's how you're to respond when that happens. Respond with love when they hate you. Respond by doing good, by blessing and being a blessing uh, when they hate you. Respond by praying for those who are after you. This is a big call, in other words. Jesus isn't just saying, love your neighbor or your friends or your family or people who have the same interest as you, but love your enemies. Your enemies. And I think uh, we'll all admit that right now in our cultural context that we're living through, uh, this, is, this is very countercultural. Right? To see someone love an enemy uh, is really shocking and, and might even be condemned by the broader public. Uh, we are not living in a golden rule kind of moment, after all. You know, um, do as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not really the, the historical moment we're living in. Um, when, whether it's from celebrities or politicians uh, to the workplace and maybe even your own life, uh, it is survival of the fittest, right? If something makes you mad uh, or someone insults you, that you are to get outraged. You're post about it online. You're to share a meme. Enemies are to be publicly shamed censored, canceled, deplatformed, depersoned. And forgiveness is seen as enabling. Love of enemies is seen as weak and enabling. But Jesus is really clear that that way of living is not how life in the kingdom works. And as citizens of his kingdom, we're called to live differently. Now, this word that he uses for love is actually a technical word. Right? The word is, is a Greek word, and it doesn't mean to tolerate your enemies or to be nice to your enemies, but essentially it means choose to love your enemies. The word is agape, which commentators point out means love of even the unlovely, love which is not drawn out by merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. Agape, choose to love. In other words, this kind of love isn't easy. There's nothing, after all, in an enemy to make you naturally want to love them, right? The, the kind of love Jesus is calling his people to is a love that chooses to go against our natural inclinations and love those who hate us, and even love those we hate. 
It's choosing to love. Uh, you may remember this picture from 2019. It's a picture of Gene Brandt hugging Amber Geiger, the convicted killer of his brother, Botham Gene. Uh, Geiger, if you remember the story, it's been a while, but Geiger was a police officer who, after getting off a double shift, entered into an apartment one floor directly above hers, and mistakenly thinking it was her, she entered this apartment, and then shot and killed Botham Gene, who was watching TV on his couch in his own apartment. Um, she thought he was an intruder in her apartment, and she reacted, uh, but in reality, she, she was the intruder and killed this man in cold blood. And this image is incredible for a number of reasons, but, but if you remember back, this was the fall of 2019 before George Floyd was murdered, uh, and this story was part of the backdrop uh, of the conversation that was to come in our country about policing and police brutality and race and use of force. This is, this is kind of part of the air we were breathing at the time. And Brant Jean, who's 18, had every reason to hate Amber Geiger. Right? She was a police officer, uh, she was white, she killed his brother, after all, so he had every reason to hate her. But during his victim impact statement, he asked the judge, actually, if he could give her a hug. And he told Geiger that his main desire was for her to give her life to Christ. And this act sparked debate and outrage. Some people found it beautiful. Others hated it and thought it was sweeping injustice under a rug. But it caused such a stir primarily because it's unnatural. Again, Brant Jean, in this moment, chose to love his enemy, despite what she had done. Intentional or not, he chose to love her. It doesn't make sense, which is the Lord's point. And jumping down to verse 32, Jesus makes it even more clear. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Right, Jesus is saying, that's easy to love those who love you. Even sinners do that. Even Hitler, someone as evil as Hitler could, I know you shouldn't always jump to Hitler as an example, but even someone as evil as Hitler could love people who loved him. That's not hard to do, in other words. But the love that Jesus is calling his people to is really hard. It's going to take some work because it feels so unnatural. And yet, it's worth it, is what he's telling us. It's, it's, it's what, and that's why he calls this kind of love, because it's worth it in the end. First of all, it's powerful. Right? It actually has power. You look at that picture of Amber, Brandt, Amber Geiger and, and, and Jean Brandt, and you see the power in that kind of love, and the power to change lives and hearts. Um, kill them with kindness is maybe a phrase you've heard. My mom used to say that all the time. Uh, I don't know if it's actually effective in standing up against playground bullies, but it's a biblical principle. The Apostle Paul, in verse uh, 17 of Romans 12, says, Repay no one evil for evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, this kind of love has power. You can think of lots of examples throughout history and time where we see the power of this kind of love of enemies. And it also leads to blessing for us individually. Jesus says in verse 35 of Luke chapter 6, he says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. There is a promise of grace and joy and delight. There's a promise of a gift and a reward. Right? And it's not the kind of reward of like, hey, love your enemies and you get a Ferrari. It's not that kind of reward. It's not a promise of health and wealth if you do good but is the existential, experiential reward of being like God uh, and also having your identity as God's children confirmed. John, the apostle, 
in his first letter in chapter 4, writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In other words, this kind of choosing to love even your enemies is proof of God's working in our lives. Because again, it is totally unnatural. It doesn't make sense. And that that means that this kind of love, this power can only come from God. The reward is the delight of being able to actually love like this and knowing that God is working through you to bring this kind of love into the world. So Jesus keeps it very simple. He says, love, choose to love your enemies and do good as my people. But what does that look like? Uh, is that other than a hug in a courtroom? What does it look like? And Jesus is really clear. It's, it's, it's more than just a feeling. There's a call to action. And it means maybe even being willing to sacrifice. Love, at its heart, after all, is an action. Right? We've kind of cheapened love. We just made it an emoji. You know, I heart something and I love it, uh, and that's that. But um, as they say, actions speak louder than words, and that's true here. Love of your enemy is more than just having nice thoughts about someone you don't like or trying to think nice thoughts about them. Love is an action. And so Jesus lays out some examples of what that looks like in verses 29 to 31. He says, first off, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. Now, many commentators have pointed out in the ancient world, to be slapped on the cheek was probably a backhanded slap uh, and meant to be an insult. And that means, Jesus says, be willing to suffer insults on account of Jesus. Be willing to suffer humiliation for Jesus. Take the insults of your enemy. He then says, from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. The cloak was the outer garment. The tunic was like an undershirt. So Jesus is saying, be willing to give all that you have to your enemies. You may even suffer the loss of property for your faith, but be willing to do that. That's love, even. Jesus also says, give to everyone who begs to you. And he says, we should be willing to give them whatever anyone needs without demanding anything in return. If someone's in legitimate need, even if it's an enemy, we should be willing to give to them without expectation of anything in return. In all of these examples, Jesus is speaking of an attitude. He says, when we receive injury, we must not seek revenge, but be ready, if need be, to accept another injury even, including from those who are against us. This is a, these are, all these words are a vivid illustration of what love for enemy looks like. And then finally, Jesus sums it all up with what's been called the golden rule. As you wish others would do to you, do so to them. And while this rule is found in every major world religion, you have this in, in all the major world religions and philosophies throughout world history, how Jesus actually says it is radical. Because in most formulations of the golden rule, in, in other religions or philosophies, uh, it's usually a rule of non-hatred or non-harm, right? The, the rule is don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to them, do to you. In other words, don't hurt other people, right? That's the, that's the, the rule in other world religions. But the Lord says here, not don't do to other people, but do to others. Do love, seek their good, love others. 
again, this is a call to not just not do bad things, but to actually do what's good for others. And you say right now, some of you might be thinking, well, this is beautiful and I like this, but what about um, when people are actually hurting you? All right, whether that's a bully on the playground, or a verbally abusive coworker, or an abusive spouse, or even someone who's trying to harm you or a loved one, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Do I just, just stand there and take it? Is that what Jesus is saying? Um, the short answer is no. Uh, but first off, even Jesus doesn't do this. We, if you read in John's Gospel in chapter 18, after Jesus was arrested, he was hit and beaten by the soldiers. Um, and he says to them in John 18, uh, 22 and 23, he says, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But, what if I, what if, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? So first of all, Jesus doesn't even stand there and take it. Uh, he actually confronts his abusers and asks them, why, do you, why are you hitting me? Why do you strike me? Uh, so these passages aren't saying be a doormat and tolerate abuse, and we have an example of Jesus there not doing that. But the context of this teaching is really important. The context of this teaching is religious persecution. It's not a situation of abuse or not a situation of self-defense. The context, in verse 22, Jesus says, um, these things will happen on account of the Son of Man. So that's the situation that Jesus is talking about when you, when you are to love like this, when, when someone is hitting you because you're a Christian, right? Someone is taking your stuff because you're a follower of Jesus. A lot of churches throughout the world experience this daily in other countries where they are literally attacked for being Christians and, and put in jail and things like that. Uh, he's not talking about a situation of abuse or an abusive spouse or parent or an abusive coworker. That's not the situation Jesus is talking about. He's saying, but in the context of religious persecution, uh, be ready to give and to be, be ready to endure abuse for the sake of Christ. And when that happens, love your persecutor. Show them the love of Christ. Stand firm. Overcome evil with good. You can think of historical examples. Again, we see this through the world church, but then also in our own country. Um, on March 8, 1965, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. told marchers headed to Montgomery, Alabama, if you are beaten... Tomorrow, you must turn the other cheek. Right? The civil rights movement, at its heart, was a nonviolent resistance movement um, that was seeking to overcome evil and persecution with love. So we can think of ways that this is actually worked out in real life. And a lot of commentators have pointed out that what Jesus is talking about here is actually a formula for nonviolent presence and nonviolent resistance and revolution in the world. Right? MLK took his inspiration uh, for the civil rights movement from here, Gandhi was inspired by the teachings of Jesus as well. Um, but at their heart, Jesus' teachings are a prohibition against violent evangelism uh, or about bringing God's kingdom through the power of the sword. Because that was the temptation. Right? The temptation is always, let's bring about the, our movement through a violent overthrow or revolution. And Jesus is saying, that's not how my kingdom comes. But what these are not, these are not uh, teachings that say you can't, defend yourself. You can't protect the weak. Um, they're not a prohibition against just war. Right? These are not teachings instructing you to tolerate abuse. It's very clear from the context. So that means um, if you try to punch me because you're mad at me, or you try to hurt me or my wife or my kids, uh, I might punch back right? in self-defense. But if you slap me because I'm a pastor, I'm going to stand there and take it. There you go. Life's complicated. But um, but is not a prohibition against safety or 
um, tolerating abuse or anything like that. So, Jesus is calling us to a default position where we must love our, our enemies and not, and not quarrel with them. Right? The kingdom of God did not come historically as a violent political revolution, but a nonviolent resistance movement of love. And that is still true today, even though there are lots of temptations to, to the contrary. Again, it's easy to love those who love you, but we are called as God's people to show love and to do good to the unlovely, whether it's in your workplace or your marriage or your family or when possible, even those who are um, hurting you. To show love and to seek to show love and choose love. And again, that's a really high calling. It is unnatural in a lot of ways. It's hard. So where do you actually get the power to do that? It's easy to say that. It's easy to say love your enemies. It's another thing to actually do it, right? Well, a couple places. How do you get the power for this kind of ethic? First, you can do this knowing that justice for the wrongs is not done away with or destroyed, but is deferred. Right? Justice is not destroyed, but deferred. Uh, earlier I read from Romans chapter 12, and in chapter 12, verse 19, Paul writes, Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. All right, the scriptures teach that we are called to love our enemies because we know that ultimately God is going to deal with them. In the, and, and if there's justice to be done or vengeance to be handed out, God's got our back. Um, and so you can forgive someone or you can choose to love someone who's hurt you or someone who's an enemy knowing that God's not going to forget what they've done. And if there is no repentance on their part, the promise is that vengeance is God's. He will repay. Uh, he will bring about justice either in this age or in the age to come when they are thrown into a lake of fire with the devil and his demons and all who have fought against God. That's the, the biblical future, right? Um, there will be justice either now or in the age to come. And so if you've been harmed or if you've been persecuted, you can choose to love and forgive, and that doesn't mean just stay in a harmful situation and take it. I'm not, again, different context. Um, but you can do that knowing that God will avenge you, that God will make it right in the end. So there's power there. That's, that's some, of that, some of the knowledge of what is to come gives power to do this. But also, we are called to love... Because we serve a God who loved us even when we were his enemies. Jesus sums it up for us in verses 35 and 36. He says, God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, meaning you and me. Um, even, and so be merciful even as your father is merciful. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Human beings aren't just sinners. We are sinners. That's true. But biblically, we are at war with God. We are, from the scripture's description of, of what it means to be human, we are enemies of God. We're not just that like, we mess up once in a while and God's ticked off at us. It's like we are enemies of God. We don't want anything to do with God. Uh, God should just wipe us all out and start from scratch. We actually do deserve the vengeance of God. And, and you know your heart. If you really think about your heart and think about the wrong you've done and what you're capable of um, and how you've hurt others and hated others, God ought to wipe you and me out 
in a fit of righteous anger, a cosmic canceling and deplatforming of sorts. He should do that. He has every right to do that. He'd be totally justified in doing that. But he doesn't. Because that's not the kind of God he is. John, again, writes, love is from God because God is love. You want to know what love is? God is love. God is a God who describes himself to Moses as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. At the very heart of God's being and nature, he is love. And so God doesn't destroy us. God, in love, chose to love us when we were most unlovely, and he gave himself to rescue, to heal, to restore us. He sought reconciliation with us when we were his enemies instead of hatred and destruction. He, he became one of us even. He took on our flesh. Jesus, the God-man, lived the life we ought to live and died the death we ought to die in our place. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our God led the way before us to show us what it looks like and also to rescue us. Isaiah tells us that God came to his own and his own rejected him. He was despised and rejected by men. And today you and I would do the same if God showed up in this room. We would be in the crowd shouting, crucify him. And yet, Jesus willingly offered himself up for all of us on the cross. About Jesus, Isaiah prophesied, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And even as he hung upon the cross, dying the death that we ought to die for us, his enemies, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the God. This is our God. This is the God you serve. This is the kind of God that calls you into his, his, his world and his kingdom, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, about, talking about Christ, wrote, Christ, who took all the vengeance of God upon himself, who met God's vengeance in our stead, who himself breath, suffered the wrath that his enemies might go free. That's the kind of God you serve. The God that sets you free, even though you, ought to, you deserve wrath. And so everything that Jesus asks us to do, he first did himself. And he did it for you and me. God loved you when you were his enemy. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. God has loved you and embraced you and even made you part of his family. And so, therefore, as his people, he calls us to love just like that, knowing how much he's first loved us. And so let us live in God and live in the love of God, God-like love. Let's pray. God of love, God who is love, God who loved us while we were still enemies and far off, who brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Father, I pray um, that you would help us because we read these things and we think they're so hard and impossible and challenging and even weird in the world that we live in. Uh, 
And yet, Lord, you call us to live like this because of what you've done for us. Help us to embody this in all the places you've called us to, whether it's in our marriages or in our workplace or in our families or our school, wherever it might be, Lord. Help us to live as your people um, and to love even our enemies because you first loved us. We know that you're good for this, and we pray you do this by your spirit. And we ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.